And so today we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, just as we did last Sunday. And we're going to be looking at the 13th chapter, uh, the first 23 verses. This is a little bit longer one, but um, let's see what Matthew has to say to us this morning. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. And such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Then the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen but never understand, and you will indeed look but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches Away, what is sown in the heart, that is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we are thankful this morning, indeed, to hear your word, to ask what it is that you would have to say to us this morning. We come to you, Lord, in a posture of thankfulness for your grace and your love. And we do pray that you would give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So I want to start this morning just a little bit differently and, and kind of just briefly touch on um, one of the things uh, about the middle of this passage where Jesus kind of begins to describe why he gives 
parables. We talked about this a little bit last week, you may recall. By the way, I misspoke last week. I know that some of you perhaps were paying attention and you realized that. I said that it was uh, David and Samuel, Samuel who told the story, but it was actually Nathan. And one of you, I won't say who it was, but one of you was actually, you know, knew the story. And so they corrected me, which was good because then at the second service, I could act like I had always remembered that it was Nathan and not Samuel. So thank you for that. Uh, I love not being embarrassed if at all possible. So I talked to you last week about the fact that part of the reason why Jesus gives, gives parables or stories um, and, and why we see them even, even when Nathan doing it in the Old Testament is because sometimes people um, are easily self-deceived, right? And so we don't really hear kind of explicit um, 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 teachings. And so we need to hear it kind of around the bend. We need to be able to hear a story that might sneak up on us and help to open our eyes. And Jesus, in some ways, is speaking to that as well this particular week. He says, while they see, they don't perceive, and while they hear, they don't listen and don't understand. Sometimes people interpret that as meaning that Jesus has just decided he's given up on them, and so he just tells them stories so that they will continue to never understand um, what the kingdom of God is about. But that doesn't really seem to fit with who Jesus is throughout the rest of his life. And so I was reading something by our own kind of Jim Livengood uh, this past week, and he talked about the fact that probably more of what Jesus is talking about here is the fact, again, that some people had grown hardened of heart and could not hear the explicit teaching of Jesus. And so the hope that Jesus had was that he could tell them a story, something that, again, would lower their defenses so that they then might finally begin to perceive, that their eyes might finally begin to see, that their ears might finally begin to hear. And I think exactly that's what we begin to see in this passage today. But there's something else, there's another reason why Jesus tells parables. And one of those, it seems to me, is because Jesus knows that we are a forgetful people. The Old Testament again and again and again and again and again and again God is always telling his people to not forget. Why? Because we are always forgetting. And so Jesus uses stories about things that people will see each and every day so that they will remember, right? I mean, that's why Jesus is telling the story about a sower and about seeds, because, of course, this was an agrarian society. So whenever they stepped out the door, they walked down the block, what would they see? Fields, farms, seed, right? Okay, this is not rocket science. So if Jesus, uh, you know, were, were here walking along the earth today, he would, what would he do? He would tell stories about, you know, sports or McDonald's or Starbucks, things that are ubiquitous, that wherever we go, we always see them so that we might be reminded of the story. Well, even though we don't live in an agrarian society today, it certainly doesn't mean that this parable doesn't have something to teach us. I mean, most of us, even I, know something about soil and about seeds, right? Even I know what, what, what helps things to grow. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of uh, several years ago now when I was a teenager and I was visiting my father in San Diego and we got up one morning and he said, hey, we're going we're gonna to go to the horse stables today, right? Now, if I didn't know my father well, I would have gotten excited, right? I would have known, well, great, maybe we're going to go horse riding and that would be excellent, right? But knowing my father as I did, I knew that this had less to do with getting on top of the horse and more to do with what comes out of horses. And so, get it? So, we went, 
right? And sure enough, we got to the horse stable, and my dad went out to the trunk, and up popped the trunk, and out came gloves and shovels and bags, and we began to walk towards this pile of stuff that had steam coming out of it, like a mini, you know, uh, volcano, if you will, right? We, we, manure, right? Right? This is, can, you got, can I say that? What's he, yeah, so so there we were, right? And the reason, of course, I looked at my father, and you would have thought he would have discovered the Holy Grail. When he saw this pile, I mean, the smile on his face was just remarkable because he knew, of course, that oftentimes if you want to make your soil better, what do you put in it? See, thank you. I made you say it. That's exactly right. And so, so he was excited. So even I, like I said, I know what makes good soil, right? Manure is helpful for soil. And, and this parable really is, is perhaps the most explicit of any of the parables, not just because it's easy, but because Jesus explains it very clearly, right? If you, have a, if you have seeds and you put them on the pathway, like a sidewalk or something, probably things aren't going to grow. If you, if you throw it where there's rocky things, probably things aren't going to grow. If you throw it where there are a lot of weeds, things may not grow, right? But if you throw it where there's good soil that perhaps has some manure in it or some other things, it will it will grow, right? And so Jesus then explains it. He says, you know, if, if you kind of hear about the, hear the word, hear my words, but you don't understand them, you know, then nothing's going to grow. Or if you hear them and you go through persecution, there's a chance that things may not grow or that your faith may not grow. If you hear them and you allow the cares of the world or the, or the wealth of our world to get into the way, then things may not grow. But if you hear it and you understand it, right, then you're, then, then, then things, your faith very well may grow. That's That's pretty clear, right? Anybody have any questions about that? Great. Okay, good. But as I was thinking a little bit more about the manure, right? I'm just going to keep saying it, all right? I realized that that for soil, in order to have good soil, it oftentimes takes a lot of work. Now, there is some soil that perhaps just naturally is good soil, but for most, soil takes work work. You've got to till it a little bit. You know, you may have to water it some. You may have to pull weeds. You may have to put manure into it, right? You may have to fertilize it. There's lots of different things that you may have to do, right? So there's actual work. So it's easy at sometimes, I think, when we hear this parable to just think, oh, okay, that's great. That makes sense. Let's move on. But perhaps what Jesus is also trying to explore with us is the simple question of, are you working on your soil of faith? Are you working on it or are you just allowing whatever happens to happen? So Jesus talks about the fact that, you know, in order to, that the, the seed that falls onto the pathway, right, that that's seed of people who don't understand, right? And so the question is, what are we doing? What are you doing to till the sto- soil of your faith to make sure that you are understanding the scripture? That doesn't mean that you have to understand everything. None of us understand everything about scripture, but it does mean the real questions. How are you working on it? Right, coming here on Sunday mornings, hopefully hearing sermons or, or, or worshiping together, going to Sunday school, whatever it is, hopefully that's helpful. Right, the home groups, right? This is a great plug again for home groups. That's a great way for you to begin to learn more about the word of God, right? Because we do it, we in the Reformed tradition of which Presbyterians are a part, feel very strongly about wrestling with scripture in community, right? We do it in community because all of us bring different vantage points and experiences. And so by doing so, you begin to understand scripture more, right? That's the tilling, that's the fertilizing, that's the watering, right? 
Or what about allowing the cares of the world, right? Which means basically the anxieties of our world. What do we do to make sure that the soil of our faith does not give in to the anxieties of the world? Right, we've talked about this before. One of the greatest ways that we do this is by simply taking space every day and once a week in what we call the Sabbath. One of the reasons it seems to me why we oftentimes give into the anxieties of our world is that we get overly wrapped up in what we are doing. We get so consumed, we are so busy that all we begin to see is everything we're doing and it gives us this false sense that we are in control. And so one of the things that's taking a step away at least once a day, taking a step away once a week as the Sabbath is to remind ourselves, wait a second, there is more to this world than just me. And in fact, there's actually a God who is actually in control. I am not. And so how do we take a step away from that? And that's called every time you take a step away, every time you come into worship, what you are doing is you are cultivating the soil of faith. So then what about allowing the wealth of the world, allowing wealth to come in and to harden the soil of our lives? How do we cultivate against that? How do we help to till up the soil? I was thinking about that this week. I was in San Diego for a few days this past week. We are members, many of you know, of a group called um, the Fellowship uh, Community of Presbyterians. And so they had a conference this week out in San Diego. Um, there are worse places to go for, uh, for conferences. And so, uh, and so it was great. It was held at First Presbyterian Church in San Diego, which is right in downtown San Diego. And, um, and one of the things, oftentimes, I mean, this church has been around for a while, over 100 years. I forget the exact age of it. But, but one of the things, as it most often, or is oftentimes the case, is that it was founded by Presbyterians who had a lot of money and influence, wealth, right? And, I mean, you walk in, I mean, it is a beautiful building. And you go into the sanctuary, and there is just this, this kind of wood is just soaring. I mean, I don't know what kind of wood it is, but it's clear when you walk in that they didn't skimp at all when it comes to the sanctuary, right? I mean, they're paying for it now because it's not easy to keep up, but, I mean, it is, it is gorgeous. And so you walk into the sanctuary, into this massive sanctuary, and, and you look, and there are two huge stained glass windows, one on the left and one on the right. And the one on the right is a little bit dark, but um, someone took a picture of it and sent it to me. The one on the right is the story of Jesus, and this is the rich young ruler. And if you remember the story about the rich young ruler, he comes and he asks Jesus what he, what he needs to do for salvation, and they go on. And what ends up happening, of course, is that Jesus ends up kind of pointing out that it is incredibly difficult to be both wealthy and to follow Christ, Jesus. So there it is. It's massive. It's kind of hard to see the scale. It's massive on the right-hand side. And then if you look over to the left-hand side, there is this picture. Guess what this picture is of? This is a picture of the sower, right? How providential is that? And if you'll see, the pastor was telling us about this, that guy by the name of Jerry Andrews, the senior pastor there, was saying that Jesus is actually sowing right here on the path, on the harder part, right? Or at least the harder parts of the soil. And one of the things, thanks Betsy, one of the things that he talks about, one of the things that the pastor talked about was the fact that here you have this wealthy 
church full of wealthy congregation members who were the ones, of course, who were helping to build this place, right? And they put that up as a reminder of the fact of how difficult it is to be a follower of Jesus and to have money. It is remarkable. One of the things that they did is they did two things, it seems to me. One is when they built it, they were incredibly honest, And they said, you know what? This is not going to be easy for us to continue to follow Jesus and have the money that we have, right? And so honesty is always a good way to cultivate good soil. And the second thing they did is they put up a massive, two massive visual reminders so that every week when they walked in, they were forced to look at the rich young ruler, forced to look at the sower and the story of the parable, and to ask themselves, even with the money we have, have we been following Jesus this week? So one of the things that you can do to cultivate the soil when you know that the subtleness of wealth can come in is to ask yourself, can I put something up somewhere so that I will always be asking myself, how am I following Jesus now in the midst of the wealth? And the other thing it seems to me, at least one other thing that we can do, we've talked about this quite a bit, is by living generous lives. One of the pastors this week kept saying that he keeps going back to his church, probably much like ZPC, and keeps talking about being extravagantly generous. Last week, when we talked a little bit about this, it was a parable where we talked about, you know, built on the house or building a house on the sand or the rock. And I said, you know what, 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 I'm, what I'm more concerned about is not whether or not you liked the sermon or thought it was challenging. The real question is, will you be able to come back this week? thinking, having thought about the words of Jesus and has it caused you to live any differently this week? And I asked you to please share some of that with me. And some of you have shared it with me, not as a way of bragging, but as testimony. And so someone shared with me a story about how they went to a restaurant. Uh, It was a steak and shake, actually, right after uh, worship. And they went out and they were asking themselves about how can we give? How can we be generous? Right? And so as they did that, the waitress was there, you know, she was fine. I, she, they didn't say anything about whether or not, you know, the service was incredible or not. But they noticed her shoes, her shoes which were tattered, and to be sure that they needed new ones. She needed new ones. The check came out to about 14-something, as I recall. And they decided, though, that they gave her an extra $50. And the woman came, and she saw it. And she, she, she saw perhaps actually only the 10. And she looked at them and she, said, she just said, thank you. For, this, is, this is remarkably generous. Have a, have a blessed day. And then they walked out. And I've thought about that this week. And one of the things, of course, that it reminds us of is the simple reality that things look different when we go out asking the Lord how we might be generous to others. When we go out from this place and we say, how might we give? How might we share the grace of the Lord and however that looks? And that simple practice of going out and saying, I'm going to be thinking about others forces us, cultivates us into a people who say, we are not just going to be thinking about how we can spend this on ourselves. But as a quick aside... The other thought that came to my mind as I saw this was how powerful that is and how much more powerful it would be if all of us, however we can, could be generous in some way like 
that. Just imagine, most of us, it seems to me, not most of us, I don't know how many of us, but many churches, it is wrestling. They think the way to direct people to Christ is to point out to people what they are doing wrong. I am here to tell you, that is not the way to point people to Christ. The way to point people to Christ is to love them so extravagantly that at some point they have to start saying, what is wrong with you? And when they begin to say, what is wrong with you and you and you? And I'm noticing that all these people who are being extravagantly generous are coming from from, from a church of all places. At that point, guess to whom you get to point them? To Jesus the Christ. Imagine if you were that waitress. And you've been wrestling and paying for things other than the shoes. And for some reason, someone came in and said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless you this day. You don't have to say it like that, but they do. They just give her her something. Imagine how that changes a person. When we give extravagantly, generously, without thought of cost, which in many ways is a perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk about, which is the oddity of the fact that usually when we label this, there's no right or wrong when labeling. Jesus didn't label the parable, but when we label it, we call it the parable of what? The sower. And yet we spend the bulk of our time talking about soil. How much have you thought about the sower? When you think about the sower, what do you think? He's not real smart. This is not a very efficient sower. Again, you know, I am no master gardener. But when I'm casting seed, I'm not putting it on a sidewalk. I'm not putting it in a place full of rocks. But yet this sower, for some reason, is just casting seed. This isn't efficient. This isn't strategic thinking. This is just casting it far and wide. What a beautiful image. It should be a great reminder to us that oftentimes the church is not really being the church when it is simply doing that which is smart or efficient. But the church is being the church when it says we are going to spread this grace of Jesus far and wide. We know you. You don't seem like your soil is very soft. But we're not afraid to cast soil and to be generous and to give grace freely. Not counting the cost, but just giving. I saw Jim uh, Caps earlier this week at this conference. He was a previous interim. Many of you probably know him. A great guy in my own estimation. And one of the things, I think maybe I've told you this a couple years ago, when I had my very first phone call about ZPC, he said it's like a church plant with 400 people, which is the kind of plant that I can get behind, right? And the reason I think why he said that is because church plants inevitably, by their very nature, are incredibly risky. Because planting a church is stupid in terms of the world because the efficiency is not that great. And yet he is describing, and I think he's absolutely right, that it is a group of people who are not afraid to take chances. And I want you to know that I have found that to be true. And I want you to know how thankful I am for that. 
And one of the things that we have to continue to do is continue to make sure that we aren't just simply doing things that make sense and for which we know the results will be successful, that we have to fail. And if we aren't failing at times, it probably means that we are holding the seeds of grace in our hands and we are just finding just the right spot to put it and then to bury a little soil on it and just sit there rather than just casting wherever it might go. The other aspect that I began to think about even more this week is the fascinating part of the fact that there are people in our lives for whom we have been praying and pleading and begging and praying and pleading and begging that at some point their life, that they would begin having faith in Jesus Christ. Over my nine, ten years, whatever it is of pastoring, I have had so many conversations with people talking about their husband or their wife, oftentimes their children, right, or their friends, right, who don't yet know Jesus. And you think, should I give up hope? Because it seems like it just keeps landing on this hard soil and nothing is happening seems to me that when Jesus is out there as the sower and he is casting things out, a part of the reason may very well be because you never know when something might start getting plowed up. You never know when even the hardest of soil, even the sidewalk, that something may happen. There may be some earthquake or something that begins to shake the soil up. And we never know what the seeds might be doing that we simply can't see. Reading a book by Philip Yancey, and as I was reading it this past week, he brought up a editor of, of Poetry Magazine, a person by the name of Christian Wyman. Christian Wyman, for a long time, was not a follower of Jesus, but then came to discover Jesus and has begun following Jesus. And Christian Wyman, this is Poetry Magazine, right? So it's, you would expect it to be a little bit flowery, and it is. It's kind of a beautiful line, but I want you to read, I want you to hear what he says. He says, when I assented to the faith that was latent within me, and I phrase it carefully, deliberately, for there was no light, no ministering or avenging angel that tore my life in two, Rather, it seemed as if the tiniest seed of belief had finally flowered in me. Or, more accurately, as if I had happened upon some rare flower deep in the desert and had known, though I was just then discovering it, that it had been blooming impossibly year after parched year in me, surviving all the seasons of my unbelief. What beautiful imagery of what we're describing. That even though we may not be able to see it, quite frankly, even though the people themselves may not be able to see it, that there very well may be a seed there that is simply surviving parched season after parched season. Some of you know this because it's been true in your own life. But I think one of the encouragements of this is that we begin to see that Jesus is not afraid to simply keep throwing the seed, knowing that there is always hope with Jesus. That there is always hope that that seed might flower. This week, providentially, it seems to me, one of our staff members noticed something here on the church grounds. She took a picture of it and I ended up getting a copy of the picture, and I want you to see this. See if you can see what this is. This is a tree, obviously, and out of that tree, there in this little hole there, where there obviously must have been some soil, up sprouted this flower. 
if you're wanting to flower, if you're wanting to plant something, probably the first place you start is not in the middle of a tree. The guess of the staff member, and I think she's probably right, is that the seed has come from the bird feeder. That a bird came in, remember the bird in the parable, a bird came in wanting to probably eat it. And yet somehow it fell out and landed in some place that we would not have expected and began to blossom. Reality, sisters and brothers, it seems to me is that so often this is exactly how Jesus works. Much to our surprise, much oftentimes to our own disbelief, Jesus continues to work with the soil that is there, never giving up. As I think about the connection between the sower and the soil, one of the things that made me think about is the simple fact that if we decide we really want to be a people who are continuing to cultivate, to to till and to fertilize the soil, if we do that in the way that we decide we are going to be generous, in the way that we decide we are going to love and give grace and dispense grace and just continue to love, even when people don't feel it, that as a response to that, what if people begin to feel the effects of that? What if this waitress, we don't know about her at all, but what if she was somebody who had been hardened or hurt by the church at some point? And what if by simply giving and then someone else comes and continues to give, what if in the midst of that as we are sitting there tilling our own soil, that some soil doesn't get propped up or thrown onto her seed, onto that hard soil? Might Jesus, the great sower, work through something like that? It seems to me that Jesus, the great sower, oftentimes works exactly like that. Cultivate our soil and never give up hope that Jesus can work through any soil. Hallelujah. Amen.